Welcome to Open Plaza, created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. In this episode, Reverend Dr. Tony Lin talks to author Sandra Cisneros about her new collection of poetry, Woman Without Shame, about writing without ego, her spiritual teachers, and the joy of RuPaul. For more information about today's episode, visit htiopenplaza.org. Welcome to Open Plaza, a podcast of the Hispanic Theological Initiative. My name is Tony Lin. I am a sociologist, a Presbyterian clergy, and the author of Prosperity Gospel Latinos and Their American Dream. And I am here with Sandra Cisneros, the, the author, poet of, uh, of many books, and the author of the classic the House on Mango Street, which many of us have read, many of our children have read, and many of our grandchildren will continue to read. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining us, Sandra. Thank you for inviting me. I, I do get invited to uh, groups that uh, speak about spirituality, and it's always an honor because I, that's what my writing's all about. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and and it's an honor. I speak on behalf of everybody at Open Plaza and the Hispanic Theological Initiative that it's it's an honor that you uh, you've graced us with your presence in our in our little platform. So, so like I, I said in the intro, you you know ma many of us, all of us listening here would would know you from uh, from House on Mango Street and many of your other books. Uh, I've read your, your most recent uh, book on the the poet. Poetry's um, Women Without Shame, which is not the, the title in yeah in, in English is is not as fun as the the Spanish version <laughs> porque you know you you have the word play on word in Spanish right mujer sin vergüenza and no also the vergüenza. photo is a play on a Spanish phrase too. Let oh me... really? Tell tell me more. Tell me more. Pal en la frente, no. This is a nopal in her frente. And so if people are Mexican, they know that expression from seeing the photograph because it was photographed by Flor Garduño, the celebrated Mexican photographer. Oh, wow. Well, see, yeah. I did not know that. I did not you know that. that phrase, you know, uh, you're so Mexican that you can see the nopal on your forehead. That's, that's what the phrase means to say that you are wearing your ethnicity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And from from that is they they make that drink right poke is, is that what they make poke from? The, the I don't know. I'm not. A, yeah. I'm just so good with drinks. <laughs> I can't tell you. Pero uh, nopales. I think you're thinking more of the maguey. The maguey is where they make the mezcal, y el tequila, the tequila, y el pulque, okay. which you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. It's a cousin of of this okay. plant. Okay. Oh, I see. <laughs> I see. It's all in the cacti family. So, so Sandra, give give us a, an update on the life of, of of Sandra, 2023. You've been traveling, promoting the book, and you've. Uh, ah, last year been... was a re-entry, like a really forceful re-entry into society after the COVID lockdown to promote my book. Uh, so you know, people don't realize that when you're promoting a book, it takes a lot of uh, energy. Even if you don't leave your house, you're talking on Zooms. So probably a half of last year was consumed with work related to this new book, Woman Without Shame. And I did interviews and Zooms, and I was in many cities across the United States. And I'm still doing interviews and Zooms and presenting the book this spring. So it, it's been very uh, social, which is anti the antithesis of my writing days. And it's difficult for me to concentrate when I'm doing so much social uh, interaction with my public. Yeah. So, so what uh, what have you observed in in your travels last year in this this forceful reentry, as you say, right? Yeah, it was a shock. I think what's changed is to see how uh, broken our large urban areas are. Uh, broken in the sense to see people living worse than homeless animals. Uh, I was very saddened to see uh, what for us who have lived over, you know, beyond the Reagan years is not normal. 
but it's sad for me to think about my nephews and nieces born after the Reagan administration when so many of the walking wounded were released from uh, medical facilities and left to just scavenge and, and live on the streets. Uh, that's very heartbreaking that for my nieces and nephews, this is normal. Mm -hmm. The United States is normal to have homeless people, the, what I call the walking wounded, the people who are mentally ill, the people who are on medications or should be on medications, mm -hmm. howling in the streets like a, you know the, they've taken over Bedlam. And I saw this especially in you know larger communities, but heartbreakingly enough, in smaller towns like the town I used to live in in San Antonio, I saw women, I saw young women in Chicago in my hometown sleeping in doorways. That women are especially vulnerable in homeless situations. Uh, I saw people in Los Angeles uh, living in the streets like tribes. And I heard the, the cries of the mad from my hotel in San Francisco. So everywhere I went, there was these carpas or gente dormiendo in doorways or people, you know, people you normally do not see. Like in New York City, I had never seen um, uh, Im Mexican immigrants that were homeless. And uh, it was really shocking to me, you know, uh, how bad the situation has gotten because uh, I'm someone who uh, can't see this without it bugging me all day. And, uh, you know, I, I, to me, you know, a stray animal in the street is someone I worry about. You can imagine seeing all the stray human beings and the situation in the United States as being one of uh, inhumanity. That, that's what I felt. And it's sad. Yeah, it yeah I'm, in, I'm in New York City right now, and it was bad last year. But then this year, you know, they, they started shipping all the, all the mostly Venezuelan Mexicans, uh, no, a few Mexicans, but mostly Venezuelan refugees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's una cosa muy triste. And, mm. uh, you know, um, you sometimes try to do what you can do. You know, there's so many people now on stoplights asking for food and you don't know, you know, some people say, oh, they're just going to go get drugs or going to go get their drink. Well, you know, that's going to help them survive. I don't care what they do, but I just feel this lack mm -hmm. how how this has become normal. This is a normal thing for people in the United States now to walk past or walk over the bodies asleep on sidewalks. It, it's a, heartbreaking especially in the winter time to see this what what do you think what do you think change what what made us like that as a as a country right because yeah, i'm not an expert of, about you know anybody and even me i'm trying to figure myself out and you know i I'm, i write poetry so i could understand myself so i don't want to say about a nation or people or country but for me, it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, I think that right now we're all filled with fear. And that fear even relates to like, should I put a $10 in that sleeping person or are they going to cut my throat? You know, there's that real fear because sometimes the people you want to help, they're not well. And, you know, sometimes I will ask someone, you know, would you like this? And some, you know, I give them a meal or something and they'll say, oh, you know, so you. <laughs> You have to also say, all right, this person's not well. Mm -hmm. And you have to be very careful about who you're talking to. I understand that because I grew up in Chicago. And come on, I know I'm not a naive, innocente. But it is a, such a time where I think there's no direction or leadership about like what we can or should do. I feel that there's great gaps in leadership at every level. And uh, I feel like I do what I can to give the sermon to Sandra Cisneros when I go out and speak. <laughs> I speak in churches and in pulpits, and and I know the responsibility. How rare it is to have a Latina speaking to audiences. So I don't want to waste people's time. I want to talk about like where we are post uh, COVID, how we're living with our hearts broken open how artists have to work to get at that stage and how we are as a nation. We're there with a broken heart while we feel things very deeply. But I really feel there's like a void in leadership. And, and I really am fed up with uh, politicians. <laughs> you could get that from my writing. But I, I look beyond for other people to lead us. 
because you know the people I look up to, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh who passed away uh, last year, uh, you know, the people like like of that magnitude who are my spiritual teachers. You know, I I want to pass on what I've learned from them, even if it's something very small that could help my listeners. And uh, you know, in any platform that I can, I'll say, well, I'm not that smart, but I read Thich Nhat Hanh. And I read Pema Children, and these are my two gurus. So please take a look at what they're saying. And you know, I don't think we have that kind of uh, global leadership at this time. Uh, someone that could unite us, certainly not nationally. And the, um, the politicians, even though I continue to vote uh, with no results, I feel that they become more divisive than ever. And there's a time when we really need to find places where we can unite. And not uh, and speak to each other uh, from a place of love and respect. So, in since we are living, as you said, living in serious times, we have to talk about serious things. Yeah. You live for I many years. I would be the one to be talking about these things. And what I'm <laughs> saying is, there an adult in the room? There's somebody <laughs> that can help us. And I feel um, a spiritual obligation because so much has been given to me. Uh, when I'm asked to speak, uh, to talk about these issues, uh, to to ask myself, you know, when I meditate or go to bed, like what come up with ayudar, you know, how mm -hmm. what what use can I be in these yeah. times, and what can I say to help uh, alleviate uh, the people that are lost? You know, I can't even help my family, my my siblings, or they never listen to me because I'm the sister. But I try to do the best I can with speaking to the people who do listen to me. So in in the the lack of leadership, the void of leadership, right? Especially moral leadership, and and in the face of so many crises we're we're facing. For yes. me personally, I've I've always looked at artists. I oh. look at artists. Really, that's nice. You, thank you, thank you, Tony. Gracias. <laughs> no, but te, pero te digo por qué is. Artists, you guys imagine a world that has yet to be, right? Scholars like me or pastores, como yo, no, we 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 preach from an existing text. We do research from things that are already existing. So we're not wired to create the things that have yet to be. But but artists. Thing, right? I, I think one of the great things about COVID for me, the lockdown was a spiritual retreat and it caused me to clear my calendar and go into solitude and to be by myself. And that was the most creative time. It was very uh, spiritually enlightening. It helped me to see the beauty in the world and to mm -hmm. look the spiritual teachers in places I didn't expect to find them, like uh, the trees. Mm. clouds and the mountains and the ants and some very good looking spiders that I came across in my house that taught me so many things all the elements the tiny little insects and the birds it, they taught me so many things I used to listen to them and talk to them when I was a child mm -hmm. talked back but then you get busy and you, you you forget that you know if you're uh uh, in a time of grief, it's so wonderful to unreal that grief to a tree and pick the wisest tree you can find. And those trees, you know, listen and do give us guidance in the same way that animals do if we are quiet enough to uh, focus and be very present for their responses. So I found that that was a reminder. And I, I wrote a lot of poems about um, uh, insects, <laughs> nature. And things that um, uplift me when I see the world going in such a state. And I just say, okay, there are good things. I have to remind myself of, of the good things that are going on in my surroundings every day so that I, uh, I don't lose hope. Yeah, yeah. So, so in thinking about art as a, as a writer, as a poet, what, uh, what are some of the the, the challenges that, that younger artists have today that that you didn't think you had to face, right? Obviously you 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 had challenges that we we, you know, a lot of younger people can't even imagine. You were the only one, right? 
things that you know when I was growing up the things you uh, relied on was the telephone is he going to call when is he going to call mm-hmm. I can't go out because I got to stay near the telephone right but now people are all connected to you know social media and uh, listening to people critique you and they just press send and they say anything with no filter you know so you get reactions of what people think about you when you're very young when you're so vulnerable when you're a teenager and if you you know it's already horrible to be a teenager but imagine being a teenager and uh, having a disability or being a teenager and being gay you know or being a teenager and not being beautiful or being a teenager and not having the body shape that Hollywood aspires to have, you know, all these things of being different, you want to fit in, in those years. And when I was growing up, you know, it was just, you, you knew yourself and your echoes, but now you can see things in print. And I, I feel for young people who get suicidal and who uh, feel uh, frightened, uh, you know, by what others say about them, overwhelmed and depressed. I, I don't know how they survive it. Uh, I I think that I was a very hypersensitive teen and, and now I've grown up to be a hypersensitive adult. So I can't imagine how hard it must be for young people who live outside of, of what is socially accepted. That's difficult for me to imagine uh, relying and, and obsessing over the opinion of others through social media. Uh, and th- in thinking about young people, very, very sadly, we, we just had another school shooting in the U.S. yesterday, right? Yeah. And and you live about an hour from Uvalde, one of the biggest tragedies. No, I don't live in Uvalde anymore, in um, Texas anymore. Uh, I live in San Miguel de Allende, which... You, feels... used to, you, you yeah, lived I, in San Antonio before. I live in San Antonio. I feel safer in Mexico than I do in the United States. That's another thing. I was in Chicago and, uh, a couple of weeks ago and I got on the Chicago Transit Authority train, the CTA L train. And I was with my sister-in-law and some, some walking wounded person sat behind me and started mm-hmm. putting his fist into the man across the aisle, inches from his face. He would like stop and he was angry and he was shouting. And I just thought, get up, get up. Yes. I got up and sat in another aisle because I thought in Chicago, at any moment when you're on a bus or an L train, somebody can just go crazy, go go berserk, and whatever they have, they can hurt you. So I I put on my Chicago sensors where you put eyes in the back of your head and said, get away from this guy. And I just remind it reminded me of like how you know anything could happen to you unprovoked in the United States. Usually in Mexico, you know not to be out after dark. Or don't go to Tamaulipas or, you know, wherever it is you're not supposed to be. But in in the United States, it could be daylight. You could be minding your own business on the L train in the loop. Anything can happen and does in the United States. And that's another thing I felt. I could feel the fear. Mm -hmm. Have fear, of course, it blocks you from having right perception. So I became fearful, too. It's contagious. It's just a... A, a strange feeling that I rarely feel when I'm walking around the streets of the town I live in in Mexico. I live in a little town, a tourist mm-hmm. town. Maybe we think we're safe. Yeah. So, Sandra, you 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 are, I, th- I think, one of the best interpreters of, of uh, relationships, Latino relationships in, in your writing. Uh, you know, Latino and non-Latino between siblings and, you know, immigrant and non-immigrant, right? I think you you capture, you're able to capture the essence of, you know, friendships, right? The the Martita book, right? One of my my favorites of all your book or all your reasons, right? Um, It's one of my favorites too. Hasta los gatos, no? Maria, there was a, you know, there's a, you know, human relationship with the, the mascotas. So, so how do you think, as, as you're exposed to to all this these heartbreaking realities and and yeah, just the reality of the, this the of, of the world, the cruelty of the world. Uh, how, you know, when I when it? I do Tony, I take all these um, espinitas from a nopal that are in my heart, and I just attend to them when I go to my writing, and they they come from begin from a little tiny little espina, little thorn from an, as fine as a nopal that gets stuck in my flesh. 
and I examine it when I'm alone. And it always begins from some place that I feel a little pain about, a little negative emotion, maybe a shame, as something I witness that I feel impotent to change. And I just follow the writing. And I never know where it's going to take me or if it's going to take me anywhere. Mm -hmm. I call it like little embryos, you know, something I saw or something that's happening to me. Um, and I follow it. I don't want to talk about any of the embryos that I have. I had like a couple yesterday, but if I talk about them, they might go away. You know, that's the thing. You can't talk about them. You have to write them. And 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 then once I write them down, I, I really don't know. Like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I, I write it. It's a meditation. It's a prayer. Mm -hmm. And I write and I have to be absolutely humble and get my big fat ego out of the way. Mm -hmm. And I just follow it. And uh, it it's uh, like um, therapy. It's a sitting meditation with myself. And if I'm very open and humble, and I do it in service to those I love, then uh, something comes through me, I feel like I'm a medium, a channel, and it takes me to someplace wiser than me. Mm -hmm. and how my writing is it begins from some fuzzy blurred emotion that I can't even articulate and I sit with it sometimes like in the Martita story for 28 years or whatever long it took I don't know how many years 28 was my poetry book Martita I think was from the late 80s the story I pick up I put down I pick up and I put it down and and finally it, it, it comes into focus and when I finish it I you know, since years and years when the way I write, I think, wow, that's smarter than I am because it's mm -hmm. not coming from me. It's coming from my highest self. And that highest self, you know, you could be an atheist and have your highest self, or you can be a spiritual person and say, I, the antepasado spoke through me or the divine, mm -hmm. uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I just really know it works when I work from a place of love and humility that that's when it comes yeah. through the the what i like about martita is i, I don't know I, i guess it is the highest place that you did it but you capture and como decimos en argentina hasta la médula argentina le, le capturaste in, in when i was reading it like the, the I, i could even imagine like the the mannerism right the, the argentinian mannerisms that would come through as i was reading it and well, i mean it, it was I a special extra gift to me because in English, right? And then I got to the end and I was like, what's this upside down? And then I turned around and I read it in Spanish. It was the version that had the two. And yeah. I read it in Spanish and it was like, I, I, I lived it completely again. <laughs> and, 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 I'm, and probably more intimate in Spanish, don't oh, you think? Yeah, I, yeah. That book is Martita Te Recuerdo. It's never Martita, I remember you. It's always been Martita Te Recuerdo. Mm -hmm publisher said no no you can't have that title I said oh all right Martita I remember you but it, that book is Martita Te Recuerdo in my head and there was a real woman who uh, my emotions were so fuzzy that I had to write this story that really isn't a short story it's not a novel it's in between the mm -hmm. two again it's straddling genres and borders we meet people and they come in our lives And they uh, leave something in our heart that we can't name. And then if you are an artist, you follow that thread to understand why is this person who I knew for a few weeks in such a profound place in my heart and in my memory? Let me explore that and see what that is. So I started it thinking it was going to be a short story and it turned into something I had to put down for a couple of uh, decades and pick off and finish and it, to me it's one of my favorite books Martita Te Recuerdo because I feel uh, all great my great greatest work comes from a place of love and this story was written for someone I knew very briefly a real Martita I hope she will look for me because I lost her and uh, I was befriended by Martita and other women and I made a composite of those women into Martita mm -hmm. and I just feel like when you're homeless and you don't have any money, and you don't speak the language, and someone is kind to you, as they were to me when I was in Paris, 
you will never forget that. You will always know what it feels like to be homeless. You will always know what it feels like to be hungry. You will always know what a small kindness mm -hmm. uh, means. Even if someone says, oh, you can share my bed. And that bed is a twin bed with a hollow in the middle in a room where you have to share the bathroom down the hall. Mm -hmm. it, things like that. I, I never forgot. So much of that comes from my real life. Yeah. And the, the real love that I have for the women who were so kind to me in a time when I knew no one. It, it taught me what it must be like to be an immigrant in the United States, what it must like to be an immigrant in any country where you don't speak the language and where you're cold and hungry and, and seldom have a place to sleep. Mm -hmm. when, when you were talking about your, your writing process and going where, where, where this, uh, this, embryos right take you i was thinking of uh, something I, I once heard that the role of the artist is to get lost because yes. you get for lost right you you always where you you you're you are where somebody has been right well you know you start out writing and you think you have to go to cincinnati i always use this analogy i gotta mm -hmm. get to cincinnati so it's in your head and i gotta drive towards cincinnati but if you're too fixed about getting to cincinnati you're going to miss out on going to Timbuktu mm -hmm. or, you know, wherever it is, your writing may take you to more splendid places like Bali, but you wanted to go to Cincinnati, mm -hmm. you know, so you always have to have that idea. Okay. I got a compass going this direction, but if I wind up in Bali, it might be better. So give mm -hmm. up the idea of going to Cincinnati. And that's how the writing is. I have to keep my, my heart open. I think I'm going to Cincinnati. But what if it takes me to uh, Buenos Aires? Mm -hmm. What if I go to Shanghai? Or what if I wound up going to Zagreb? You know, it may take me to some place mm -hmm. I never imagined. And I have to be very soft and flexible when I'm writing to allow the, tr the journey. Uh, you know, it's going to take me to someplace more fabulous. And, uh, you know, I'm keeping Cincinnati in mind. But if, uh, if uh, it turns out that... Uh, Lyon, France is better. I'm going to go there. So mm -hmm. I have to keep that in my mind, not have the ego, yeah. take over, but have the soft heart that is open to where the intuition and my highest self and the light, la luz is so important in writing. La luz is going to guide me and it's only going to guide me one paso at a time, one step at a time. And by that, la luz, I mean love, for lack of a better word. I'm going to say, call it la luz. Some people can call it the divinity. I'm going to call it love. And if I'm writing and and I, and suddenly my heart is bursting open with love, and I want to write on behalf of uh, someone I met and remember, I, the writing will go that direction. But I, I, what the writing has taught me, Tony, is that cualquier cosa que se hace con amor de parte de los seres queridos siempre sale bonito. Whatever I create with love on behalf of those I love, with no ego involved, no personal agenda. Siempre sale bonito. It always turns out well. And that's how House was written. You know, it wasn't written for prizes or fame or money. Uh, I wrote it con puro amor y amor puro. And it has become subsequently like uh, the big spiritual lesson of my life. That when you write, you have to be in some place of service of mm -hmm. generosity and absolute humility. If you start thinking, oh, I want this to get published here, or I want to win that award, or wait till so-and-so reads this and it will kill her. No, no, you're not going to write anything good. You have to come from some place of like pushing the reader out of your mind and imagine this isn't going to get published. No one's going to see it, but I'm going to do it in service to the people I love and with all my heart. And how would I say this if I was writing, you know, and honoring their memory, honoring their stories with all my heart. Mm -hmm. And that's when something comes up that's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and this, the I think when you when you take your, your whole body of, of your work, right, both the poetry and the, the fiction, and even the, the nonfiction, right? All, all these together, you, 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 you can really get that sense that, that that's... Yeah. I try to write as if I can't publish it in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Because if I if I block out the reader, then I'm writing from a pure channel. I open myself to la luz. Mm -hmm. If I'm 
thinking of the reader. If I'm thinking of the reader, then the ego comes in and kind of clogs up that channel. And the rotor rooter for me is to think about it not getting published and just writing it from pure love for the person or the people I'm writing about. And puro amor y amor puro. And uh, I just think the universe is made out of la luz. There's just no other substance that transcends everything and transcends all our problems is el puro amor y amor puro. And if I if I had to give anybody like writing advice, you know, that would be key that you write with absolute love and uh, uh, in service. Yeah. This gift that you have been given. And it's not enough to inherit this gift, to be born with it. You have to work and work to have a tenacity to do beyond your capability and do spirit work. Mm-hmm. So to to do this work, right, and the the idea of getting lost and just just uh, flowing with whatever la luz de Chevy, we we need a certain level of grace with ourselves and our society needs to you know because if you're getting lost, right, you need to be forgive yourself for not ending up where you thought you were gonna be and forgive yourself for uh, and, and when you're writing out of love right a lot of emotions come out we want it to be loved but sometimes other things come up and and we have to be honest with with those emotions and and try to draw it back to love but what what i fear is that in today's society in, in today's culture right the, the idea of grace and forgiveness even second chances right which used to be a, a, such an inspiration for for the you know western imagination Right, that that you can redeem yourself. We're losing that as a as a culture, right? We're just so angry. Yeah, I think I think that we have uh, had leadership that allows people to hate, and doesn't teach us how to come from some place of uh, seeing beyond our rage. We don't have the leadership to say, okay, it's okay to be angry, but you don't have to go get a gun, and you certainly don't need to shoot yourself and other people. That's not the solution. We're not giving models of what do we do with our dark emotions. And to me, when whenever I read about a shootout or a young person committing suicide, to me, it's like, oh, if we only had poetry in the schools, if we only had the art and the artists in the schools, which people have, uh, have removed from budgets because they think of it as being superfluous, which to me, art is the medicine that heals our heart from the uh, darkness that uh, overwhelms and transforms us. You know, one of the things I always say to to young people, old people, any people, you know, you need to create art not to distract you, but to bring you in touch with this darkness that's inside us because art's art's mission isn't to entertain or distract. Art's mission is for making you to sit with your wounds and transform those demons before those demons transform you. I don't, you know, I know that if, you know, it's been very effective for uh, poets to work with Viet, Viet, and not even Vietnam, all the war veterans that we've had, like, you know, I've been working with all the veterans since Vietnam and beyond, and afterwards, uh, to transform all this uh, walking wounded. And, you know, uh, we used to have poetry in the schools, I taught poetry in the schools back when I was a young woman. And it was so great to see young people ask me, how come? How can you teaching us poems, miss? You know, back in San Antonio. And mm-hmm. get all these crazy answers. I said, you know, that is a very good question. Why do we need poetry? Why am I getting paid to come and talk to you children once a week and write poems? What good is poetry? And we had a wonderful discussion with these children. You know, they would raise their hand and say, to make money? I said, well, no, not to make money. I think you make more money if you open a car wash. But why do you think I'm here? And we'd get all these responses. And finally, I, I would give them the example of like, do you, do you ever see your mother washing the, mopping the floor? And, and yes, I've seen my mother mopping the floor. And, and does your mother sometimes sing when she's mopping the floor? I have seen my mother mop the floor and sing. And does she sing because she likes mopping the floor? Well, no, she doesn't like mopping the floor. But she's singing because the singing helps her to enjoy that time mm-hmm. and it helps her to get past that time and enjoy that morning cleaning. And, and I talked about all the ways that dance 
of poetry, you know, any art that we have drawing helps us to transform dark times into something that's beautiful. Yeah. Even if, you know, even, you know, you might write a poem about something that hurts you, but after you finish writing the poem, you feel like you got the little spine out of your hand. Oh, I can see what that is. Oh, I feel better. So, you know, I had to translate it to them by beginning telling them the story of their mom mopping and singing to understand what is the necessity of art and why we need it to uh, survive sometimes from one day to the next. So I really want them to understand that this medicine is very important medicine. It keeps us from becoming the walking mm -hmm. wounded and healing and transforming ourselves. I, I always tell people that if you if you're truly spiritual, right, or religious, I'm in my sense, I'm I'm you know I'm a religious person. If you really in for me, if you really believe in God, you will love art because yeah. they're both one and the same. Because yeah. we know that logic and facts will not change anybody. You can argue all day long, but beauty beauty transforms people. I, I, I differ from you, Tony, where I come in and I, I don't try to change anybody's mind because everybody's on a different Camino Sagrado. Everybody's mm -hmm. on a different level, a different dimension. So what I say might have for you a lot of baggage. So you'll say, oh, I don't want to listen to her. So I try to come into some place where even if you're an atheist or agnostic or if you're extreme uh, conservative, mm -hmm. I, I speak to all of the above. And so I want everyone to enjoy the hour that I'm speaking to them and not waste that hour. And so the first thing I do is I make them laugh because we all need laughter and laughter is very healing. And I, I do that from the beginning to when I open. And uh, that way, even if you were forced to come to my reading because your wife made you come or you were obliged in a class, I always ask like, how many people are here because they want to be? And how many people are here because you're involuntary volunteers? And there'll be some people that are raising. I'll say, okay, we're going to have a good time anyway. And when the reading ends, I always ask, did you have a good time? And they'll say, oh, I said, okay, that's what it's all about. That's what art is about to mm -hmm. make you enjoy and, and have a joyous and celebratory mm -hmm. moment in communion. And, you know, if you go in, you're still an agnostic and an atheist. It's okay. That, that's fine. But mm -hmm. we met in some place where you could hear me and listen. And that's such a great honor. Yeah. I'm such a big family and we never listened. We all talked at the same time. So when I go up to a pulpit or a podium, it's a responsibility. I want to release the Trojan horse, the gift to a Trojan horse that you take home. And later on, you know, the the soldiers will come out and you'll say, Oh, that was that's what that was about, eh? And you know, that you learn something that might help you and I hope uh, will help you to transform yourself in a in a loving and kind way and forgiving way to yourself and other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think um, the 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 transformation, right? That so many of us desire or or need, right? Because you know we we live in a broken world that sometimes breaks, often breaks people, right? I think I think these are the wounds that only only love and beauty can can heal, but, right? But see that we yeah. as artists are broken too, and oh. we have to work so hard to break our our hard hearts open to write from that tender place, but the world's already there. So you need to remind them, if you have uh, suffered a loss, if you are, are brokenhearted today, when I'm speaking to you about what you read in the newspaper, or you lost someone to COVID, or you just got dumped by your honey, wherever you are with that broken place, be tender to yourself. Mm -hmm. Realize that this is where artists have to work to excavate, to write from that place. And you're already in that open heart place, the corazón sagrado, mm -hmm. in it. Yeah. You're in that place that's like a little farolito. It's a lantern. It's glowing. And if you don't attend to it, you are going to be very ill. So pay attention to your pain, sit with it, and make art from it. Because, you know, I have to work so hard to get in the zone. You're already in the zone. So you might as well make something, you know, make 
a, a, a drawing or a poem or a song, mm-hmm. you know, or just sit with it and 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 see where it takes you. It, it it's I love the the metaphor that Thich Nhat Han talks about meditation as compost. And I use that writing as a composting too, that you put, you start wherever you are, whatever garbage is in your heart, I document and write it down. Even if it's not a poem, even if it's just a journal note, just so that I don't have to hold it. Mm-hmm. I release it. And, and then I, I, I'm a writer, so I will come back and revisit it and keep composting it and see, keep composting it for days, months, 28 years. And from that mud, a little white lotus is going to bloom. And to me, that's the process of creating art. But for those of you who aren't artists, to not have to hold that pain, you know, you can let go, write about things you wish you could forget. You can, you can burn these little notes. You can release them. You can have a ritual and, and put them in the river. You can have the earth and bury them in the earth and have the earth hold them and dissolve them. You don't have to hold them and you can heal yourself with these rituals. For me, my ritual is the writing, but not everybody's a writer. So if you have to sit under a tree and cry, the earth will take your tears and the tree will guide you. If you're very quiet and you, you listen, the tree will advise you. You could spill your heart out to the tree. And I still like how wonderful trees are because no matter what you tell them they always say yes I understand I totally get you they never say I'm too busy or your hour is up you know they are very patient and and look how long it took them to become that wise and we only have if we're lucky maybe years and they are older than that so I I like to especially look to uh, the things in nature that are very old yeah that's that's beautiful uh, Sandra, what what do you think? You know, in in our so so in our culture, I remember even thirty years ago we were talking about how the el mestizaje que tenemos, you know, hybridity of the Latino Latinos was going to be the future of America, right? That uh, that we were gonna we were all gonna be more than one thing, right? This idea of you have to be one or the other was going to go away because there are, there are so many of us, right? Como nosotros, somos todos mestizos, no mirame a mí, you know? So, but but I feel like this is not, this is, it, it's de- I don't know if it's declining, but it, it's, it, we're not making as much of a pro- uh, progress as we thought we were going to make, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Right, well, first, Tony, 20, 30 years ago, you must have been three years old because you look like a jovencito. <laughs> first, I want to say that. But uh, you're right. We did have this illusion that everything was going to blend and we everything would be okay. I still feel that we are we are uh, going a step forward and a step back. Maybe we're doing a little kind of cha-cha-cha mambo or whatever, the little dance, a little salsa step forward and then back. I, I think that things have to swing you know, backwards and forward. On the other hand, there's a lot of changes that have been, you know, yes, there's been some scary things, but there's also some very positive changes. Some beautiful, wonderful things that have happened as a result of, of the last 20 or 30 years. And I'm very happy to see some of the changes. Yeah, there's always gonna be a backlash as because nobody wants change. They want things to stay the same. But uh, I'm very uh, in, encouraged. What What are some of the highlights? What are some the of the highlights thoughts? for me is like RuPaul's Drag Race. I love RuPaul. You know, he's <laughs> like to me. I'm I'm in the church of RuPaul. I love the joy that he brings, and and the people of color on television. I saw that many people of color on any show, like except RuPaul. You you have Latinos. You have trans people. You have black people. You look at those male, those sexy male dancers, they're all colors. I love that. I've never seen a show where I've seen so much diversity. From I, I've watched the season, season one, I'll have you know. RuPaul, invite me to be a judge. I've been a fan since season one. But anyway, aside from that, I think that is the most revolutionary thing for me on television because I have not seen diversity on television like I've seen on that show. If I wasn't a writer, I would aspire to be a drag queen because I think you have to be a comedian. You have to be a philosopher. You have to be a dancer. You have to be, you know, just improvisational. You know, it takes seamstress. You have to have all these skills. 
that you know usually are compartmentalized into other uh, entertainers all in one. And and I love that it, every show people speak about their pain. It makes me cry when I listen to people's testimony and how broken they are in their families. A lot of times religious families especially have have not been very kind and understanding to their children. And then you also hear these joyous stories of families that fully embrace them. And it's just to me, um, I like to cry and laugh on a show. And that that show does it for me of people telling their heartfelt stories that make me cry and saying things that make me laugh. Mm -hmm. And just, I feel like uh, I get storytelling <laughs> in all my, yeah. I, I get everything fulfilled on that show. And, and I, I love it más que nada because it speaks to people of color. And I want to applaud RuPaul for, you know, introducing people of color to television and to bringing the community that I've run with, which is, you know, my, my friends and the people I ran with in San Antonio, mainly a, a gay community that took me in when I felt very homeless and alone and had no family in Texas. It was a gay community who understood and nurtured me. So I, I feel very close and I feel like that's my chosen family in a way. And uh, I just I just celebrate, applaud, and I love the the spirituality of RuPaul. And uh, I would I hope to meet him one day. I don't have to be on your show. I just want to meet you. <laughs> we'll try to get the word out to to RuPaul. <laughs> yeah come on i watched since season one anyway i just love that he get you could tell he's done therapy he's mm -hmm. done spiritual work from the way that he works and questions and talking to his his guest so that's wonderful very impressed, very impressed with him and the work he does so sandra a lot of the people listening to these will be will be younger people younger scholars Younger than me, aunque me veo jovencito. Te ves muy niño. Yes, what advice do you have for, for the younger generation coming up? And uh, what are there maybe some project that you wish you, you had more, more time to do that you, you would encourage them to, to explore communities that that have been silenced for a long time. And you think- uh, I'm really happy and proud of the um, population of children who come to the United States as immigrants, the dreamers and the authors now that are telling their story and people who are telling their stories for them that are not immigrants. I, I love everybody who's working to bring uh, consciousness about the situation of immigrants globally. And so I, I think that uh, I'm very proud of younger writers. Like first it was um, Reina Grande who wrote, I was finally waiting for someone who was had made that journey to write the book. But to write that book, you also have to be trained as a writer to get it published. And Reina has two memoirs. When, when I first was asked to uh, blurb her first book, I thought, yes, that Huerquita, she's writing a memoir and she's 30 what? I said, no. And then I read her story and I was like, wow, I've been waiting for this book. So I, I'm very proud of, of work that I've seen coming up from the uh, younger people uh, about the immigrant situation. And uh, uh, Solito is another book that I like very much by, um, well, what's, what's the author of Solito? Hold on, I've got it right here. I always forget people's yeah, I names. I just read it too last, last year. You know why I forget it? Because he's Jose Javier, and sometimes he's Javier Zamora. Yeah, Jose, Jose, uh, he, Jose Javier is how I knew him when he was writing poetry, but now he goes by Javier, so that's hard for me to remember. Javier Zamora, that's right. And, you know, uh, beautiful stories like uh, Gordito, a uh, 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 collection of short stories that came out by Jaime Cortez about the, uh, the children of these immigrants that work in the fields. Manuel Munoz's beautiful book, The Consequences, about, again, the, uh, the field workers, farm workers, and uh, about the gay community as well, woven into those tales. So I think there's a lot of uh, stories that history forgot that are being uh, documented by younger people now for the first time. And if you don't write about it, it never happened. It's not history. 
And mm -hmm. we are getting these younger writers that are documenting it and writing about it and making it part of American history. So I'm very proud of, of that, that what I've seen, and not only just writing about it, because anybody could write about it, but write about it well. Mm -hmm. That's hard. And, yeah. you know, people like uh, uh, Zamora and Reina Grande, Manuel Munoz, uh, you know, fine writers, really good writers. So I, I love when I read uh, books that are about communities that we haven't seen before in literature, or we've seen it, but not written with accuracy or love. Yeah, I, I remember when I was coming up, it was like five authors, right? Latinos, you know, and it was all, that. that's all. It has, it has. <laughs> Yeah, I can't keep up. And, I can't keep up. But Angie, now Cruz, Angie Cruz just had a beautiful new uh, novel. Yeah, come out. Down in a cup of water. Yeah, it, yeah, it's on my bedside. And, you know, it's just like, I thought, oh man, Angie's other books, you know, I have blurbed because she's such a fine writer. And then this one got a lot of attention. I have yet to 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 bite into it and, and taste it, but I will. I post them all on my Instagram. And and if I didn't get to your book yet, you know, I, I like to remind my followers, I've got stacks and stacks that I have to read. And so I do read them. It's just that I, yeah. I don't don't get to them as quickly as I would like. But this is, you're right. You know, before we knew all the writers that were on the bookshelf. And now there's so many, I can't, I can't keep up. Yeah. So so what do you think this is this is heading to it in, in 10, 20 years? Because I, I remember long, long time ago I heard Juno Diaz say exactly, we need more immigrant writers, right? We need more stories of immigration. Right. And this is more than 10 years ago. Right. He, he was saying, you know, we need to get out there and get our voices out there because migration stories are not there. And now, we, we, you know, we have we have a lot of New York Times bestsellers and, you know, the, the independent publisher. You have the academic hey. stories. You have the urban stories. You have the Dominican stories. You have the Southwest. Yeah. You've got all this mix of things. Um uh, well, it, it helps if you have someone like Jenna Bush putting you on television, you know, like I really think that um, Zamora lucked out by getting, uh, you know, the daughter of a librarian, Jenna Bush, to mm -hmm. put her, put him uh, on her show and that helped get him uh, yeah. non-choir uh, members the, to preach beyond the choir is what we want. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I tell people, you know, it's great if you're preaching to the choir, people like me who want to read this. But, you know, try to get the writing beyond the choir to people who don't know our community, don't like us, so that they, we can change their ways of thinking. That, to me, is key. So sometimes the books that we need are not going to come from within the community. They may come from someone whose surname is not Latino. Mm -hmm. And that is vital, too. It, we're all in it together, working to bring consciousness. I don't feel in, in a... a that you can't write about this if you're not Latino, or you can't write about that if you're not. But I feel like if you're all working with your heart and soul to bring an issue to light and doing it the best you can, adelante. You know, mm -hmm. that that that's how I see it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I obviously totally agree. Con un apellido como Lynn, you know, I often get asked if mm -hmm. if my books get uh, get bypassed or not assigned because of the last minute. Well, first... Or, or if I get accused, right, of accused of appropriating or something, but the the academic, uh, especially in religion, right, the circle is so tight, right. And anybody who has that idea can make one phone call, and they would know somebody else who, who knows me. And mm -hmm. but, but also, I think maybe because in in, in religious scholarship is it's just always been so many different people, right. That and and we've we we've just since since um, we, we've never and still don't have a uh, majority, we, we've always collaborated from people outside. Yeah, like, yeah. I think that's one of the things that um, I learned growing up in Chicago, Tony, you know, we had to collaborate to have power, the brown community with the black community. And when I moved to Texas, there weren't those brown black coalitions. I thought, well, why? Why are they so divided? To me, the change was only going to happen by coalitions of communities coming together and I still think we need those coalitions and those coalitions are going to be made of people that don't look like us that's how we're going to make change and progress and we if we're coming with this divisiveness and like no you can't belong or you can't write about that 
then we're as guilty as the extreme haters. And, you know, we need to come from some place where uh, uh, a, a spiritual uh, uh, height, of a spiritual height, mm -hmm. from a spiritual height so that we can see things with clarity. And it, it breaks my heart that, you know, there's a lot of, and, you know, and I, I think uh, I, I feel um, sometimes I have to step away from social media as, as much as it does good. It also um, um, allows and uh, spreads a lot of uh, emotional terrorism. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what breaks my heart is that I'm, I'm seeing more now, especially on social media, of these people trying to police certain race, right? That, you know, this real, this is real Latino. This is what is really black and really, you know, yeah. Asian. And, and, and I'm thinking as, as a scholar of race, we did this. White supremacists did this. They created a one drop rule and tried to impose yeah. it on everybody else. And now, and now our, we, we've internalized white supremacy so much that we're yeah. doing it to our own people. Right, that yeah. you're not real Latina, you're not Latina enough, so you cannot write. Like, what are we doing? Why, why do we? Mm, I know, you know. Don't you wish there was like a Gandhi? I said, where's Gandhi when we need him? And you know, where are the uh, leaders that we uh, need to unite us? Because I certainly can't do it. You know, I try my best and uh, I, I fail. And uh, I'm, I'm not Gandhi, but Gandhi inspires me. I'm not Thich Nhat Hanh, but Thich Nhat Hanh inspires me. And, you know, these are the people and, you know, that I look to and say, you know, I, I cannot be Dr. King. I can't be Cesar Chavez, you know, but uh, I can look to them for sustenance and yeah. uh, allow them to keep mm -hmm. going and, and allow me to try to do what mm -hmm. I can do on paper, you know, because, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh was a poet and he was a speaker. And uh, I, I want to come from someplace yeah. in my poetry, which is smarter than me talking every day mm -hmm. and in my speaking engagements from someplace of La Luz. Yeah. Well, Sandra, you, you inspire generations of us and you inspire even those of us who might never have read you. We read the people you inspire. Oh, bravo. You don't have to read me. Just go straight to my teachers. <laughs> go to, to Dick Nhat Hanh and go to Gandhi and go to Pema Children. I listen to these people when I used to drive. I don't drive anymore. And they were my, my you know, my uh, uh, lessons in the car mm -hmm. on audio. And yeah. I just feel like I'm just, I have to give credit where credit's due. You know, these are my teachers. And they're, uh, when I'm in despair, who I go to, uh, I read poets too, to help inspire me to be a better teacher and speaker. Because you know, as as writers in these times, we're not just reaching people with our books. We are reaching people through our sermons. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Sandra. Again, I hope I made people laugh. Because all the sermons I went to when I was growing up were so boring. They were very inspirational because I knew as a little girl I could do better than that. <laughs> I knew. I said, get out of the way. Let me get up there and tell a story. <laughs> so I, I know that you know, if I use them as my marker of like bad sermons, it inspires me to go out there and say, okay, I'm just going to, mm -hmm. I just want to make the difference for this audience in one hour. And when they leave, I hope I have delivered the message they need to hear that's yeah. what i pray for well you absolutely did with me you absolutely I did <laughs> this is a highlight of uh yeah <laughs> probably my life and, it, and and if you get rupaul to invite me i will have to thank you because Dale, I, vamos. Have been, I, you know, I just want to i just want to meet rupaul is that asking too much <laughs> we'll make it happen I'm sure. I'm sure one of the open plaza <laughs> connections will not, not recall. Andale, andale. Because, you know, I like how he he also is an ordained minister, is he not? He's like, has, yeah, he does. And then he always says, can I get an amen? Mm -hmm. Amen. And I, can, and I love when he says, can, you know, asking everyone to say love, because that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm.
yeah no absolutely absolutely yeah so yeah thank you so much sandra thank you tony i had such a good time and i don't get invited often enough to these platforms with the spiritual uh, listeners and teachers and i have to say that i hope all of my writing is a a lesson in spirituality because i to me that's where all art comes from it's a spiritual camino. Mm -hmm. I hope something that I walk will be of use to you all. Muchas Amen. thank yous. Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> and I will close with a kiss I learned from the drag queens. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Sandra. Thank you. I look forward to meeting you in person, Tony. It is Absolutely. bien chistoso. I, I live in New York City. Así que cuando quieras. Andale. Espero yes. que... Ojalá. I love that word. God willing, it'll be yep. soon. Ojalá. Okay. Ojalá podamos. Sí. Tenga buen día. Okay. Yep. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. This has been an HTI production. For more information, visit us at htiopenplaza.org. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides Open Plaza as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own. Their appearance on this program or any reference to a specific product or entity they represent does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.